Hi, this is Lisa DeLay, and you are listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. This is Soul School, Lesson 119, The Verve of Silence. Today I'm going to be talking a little bit about the new book I've written, and it's called The Verve of Silence. I'm making it available just to people who support the show at $5 or higher. And I wanted to read a little bit of it to you and share some of a little bit about why I wrote it. One of the things I've been noticing about my own personal life and my own inner world is that I have to carve out spaces of silence for myself from external noise, of course, uh, in my own environment, but also just from the mind chatter that I have, whether it's my planning mind or living in the future. I'm a person who anticipates and plans and and dreams and imagines, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But when you get into the habit of doing that all the time, your brain really chatters away. And as that happens, you aren't really where you are in the moment and sometimes enjoying the people and the environment around you. And it robs you from the present. And so does thinking about the past, whether you're in regret or memories or wishing for something that has already been, and you're not where you are, where you should be. Most of the time, our thoughts are taking us elsewhere, and they're cheating us out of our moments of awareness for where we actually are. I've been giving that a lot more thought and concentration and taking myself to task about it wondering what are some things I can do to make myself here, where I am, and also available for people around me in my family, in my friendships, in the work I do, and not just distracted by thoughts or other distractions that vie for my time. So I wanted to write about the power and the spirit, the dynamism of silence itself, the interior silence we can get when that mind chatter actually quiets down. Now, if you go to my website, sparkmymuse.com or lisadelay.com, they both go to the same place. And if you click on getting my newsletter, you subscribe to that newsletter that goes out occasionally, maybe once a month, and has news and updates and links and things like that, you can get a sample portion of this new book, about 12 pages. If you decide to sponsor my work and you go to patreon.com forward slash spark my muse, you'll get the entire book. But what I'll do now is I'll read some of the book. This book will not be available by any other means for the time being. I've decided not to publish it on Amazon as I've published my other books. I have seven other books available on Amazon right now. Most of them are downloadable books. I've decided that I wanted to keep some things limited and special for the people who really support my work and appreciate it. And so it will only cost $5, but I want to make sure that the people who really appreciate what I'm doing get something special and really sink deeply into the material. I'm going to read some of the table of contents so you know what's in the book and um, get a feel for what's there. I talk about when silence is foreign, because for many of us, when things really, really quiet down, 
feels sometimes really awkward or it feels very unfamiliar because we're so used to so much noise in our lives that sometimes uh, when things quiet down, we immediately, it's just a knee-jerk response or reaction. We look for something to make it loud again or busy again or distracted again because those distractions make us less bored. The next little section is being hospitable to the rough start of silence. Usually, um, it'll be a little bit rough if we try to discipline our lives with periods of silence within them. Then I talk about fear. We can be afraid of what we find in periods of silence. Sometimes our fears will arise, or we'll just be afraid of fearing itself. And then I talk about fear, the difference between fear and our thoughts of fear. Uh, sometimes we think of them in more concrete ways, and we identify with our fears too closely. And then I talk about curiosity and fear and the role that plays. Then the decoys of fear. It gets into chapter three. There are a total of six chapters in this book, 51 pages. And I talk about having small, measurable goals as you add silence. And I give some details about some of those things that you can add. I talk about the brain and body connection. Our brain and our body are not two separate systems. I'm going to be reading from that chapter today. In the book, I also talk about how the natural world is the world we have to sync up with. And the one we're typically a part of often is an indoor world that is surrounded by mechanized things, indoor things and inanimate things that are not organic and are actually dehumanizing in nature to us, though we might not realize it. Uh, and then I talk about firelight and the power and the aliveness of flame and how we tend to think of ourselves in those terms sometimes. And then I talk a little bit about uh, some of my future work, which I'm doing. And these are all ways for me to get back into the discipline of writing, which I have been postponing because of doing the podcast. And I also recently sent out a proposal, a book proposal, related to some of these things of spiritual formation and the interior world and spiritual growth. And I'm hoping to be writing a lot more in this year and in the years to come. By me writing this book about silence and the spirit and the life of silence, it's my hope to reassociate myself with the writing world and the discipline of writing and to add those new dimensions to what I do. I already do teaching and now I want to be writing the books that I'm teaching from as well. I will be reading from page 38 in this book, just chapter five, and it's called Embodying Silence. This is just a little taste, a little snippet, and I hope that as I read these words that you can just take them in slowly and savor them and allow them to maybe enlighten some of how you think about silence. Not thinking of silence as the absence of sound, but as something powerful in itself, an environment in itself, and a way of knowing, as Kevin Johnson says. I just interviewed Kevin Johnson for an upcoming podcast. He is one of the co-hosts of Encountering Silence podcast. And there's a lot to know about silence that we may have never encountered before. That is a little bit of the journey I'm on right now and has been really an interesting and fruitful, insightful journey. So thank you for, so much for 
listening to this podcast and coming along. There are some fantastic guests that I'm so excited to release these episodes to you. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Chapter 5, Embodying Silence. Essentially, silence is participatory in mind and body. We do not simply mentally rehearse silence, nor do we merely study it. Rather, we go about doing it. We experience what silence is by immersing in it, just like when we float in water. We all know that we float by floating. We don't float by watching it on TV, thinking about floating, reading about trying it, looking at pictures of floating people, listening to podcasts about floating, or coming to lectures about how to float are not at all the same thing as doing it. If we don't know how to do it, we have to get in the water and try it. Floating happens by none other way than by doing it fully through bodily participation. More importantly, to float, we do not resist anything. We consent to the qualities of the water, which make our bodies buoyant. Instead of thinking we must do something to float, or instead of worrying self-consciously about how heavy our body weight is, we can shift our focus to the present reality that the water will simply hold us up by its own nature. Then we let it. In the same way, silence is something we participate in rather than think about it or just accumulate knowledge about it. Silence is also something we consent to rather than something we work at with a lot of effort. If we try to be good at inner silence, we experience a countervailing bustle of preoccupying thoughts that pull us out of the silence we hope to find. Instead of trying to force ourselves into a place of inner silence, we may instead participate and engage in what is already at work in the backdrop of all things. To get toward silence, we can just wait. In the unfathomable soul resides our deep silence that calls to the eternal deep silence that has always been there. When we pause and allow this silence to be, our body, mind, and spirit may open and awaken freely to this oneness that is ever constant. The embrace of the divine is always ready to receive us when we consent to it. We are just witness to what is. Brain-body. In Western culture, there is a non-sequitur prejudice that values the prowess and intelligence of the brain over that of the body. Instead of perceiving the brain and the body as ever cooperative, we may accept the false notion that the body serves the brain or that the brain goes about commanding the body. We can notice our brain preference in action and how we may inadvertently decide that our worker body is what is carrying around our brain boss from room to room. Occasionally, we try to calm our body down through a conscious brain choice, a decision of conscious will, with varying degrees of success. Most of the time, our body actually initiates signals to our brain. 
Then our brain sends messages to other areas of the brain and body before our reasoning part of the brain, the frontal lobe of the brain, is even aware. Only a tiny percentage of the body-brain is language-based and related to the conscious and rational ways we can give commands to the body. In the ways we think we control ourselves through our conscious awareness are a tiny fraction of what is happening in us, to us, and around us. In truth, a network of nerves, many in the intestines, heart, and other organs, which include the largest organ, our skin, signal the brain to send out other signals to other areas to create chemicals and hormones for certain responses and actions. This extremely sophisticated system of communication occasionally gets our conscious attention, most during more extreme type situations, fear, stress, danger, cold temperatures, etc., or when it's not functioning properly during illness. The body and the brain are not at all separate systems. We often mistakenly consider our thoughts as superior to our emotions because we assume our rational mind creates our thoughts. For instance, we may classify crime differently if it is a, quote, crime of passion, emotion-based. But have you ever heard of a crime of thought? No, because it doesn't exist in the judicial system as such. We tend to view our emotions as directly connected to bodily sensations, feelings, and responses. Emotional reactions can feel out of control. There might be shaking, sweat, goosebumps, tears, flushed face, a spike in heart rate. Some call our emotions part of our feeling mind. Nevertheless, we don't tend to think of our emotions as equally reliable as our supposed brain-based thoughts. In reality, neuroscientists have discovered quite clearly through fMRI brain scans that all our thoughts contain emotions, and all our emotions contain thoughts. They are inseparable. Though our court system doesn't legally recognize this and is woefully behind on this physiological fact, both our thoughts and our feelings are not very rational or reliable. Both our thoughts and our feelings are deeply intertwined and involve the body and the brain, both. The body and the brain always work together because the brain is the body. The body includes the brain. The dichotomy between thoughts and emotions and feelings does not exist. The dichotomy is based on outdated ideas of how the human body and brain work and what is valued culturally. Culturally, thoughts, when they seem fairly devoid of coinciding bodily responses, are thought to be more unsullied and valid. This is part of an ingrained but toxic gender bias as well. For example, come let us reason these questions together. Who is more clever and trustworthy, someone who usually has emotional feelings or someone who usually thinks thoughts? Hmm, we all know that men tend to be thinkers and women tend to be feelers, right? This type of question set contains cultural and gender bias and sets up harbor for male superiority and oppression over women. This baked-in logical fallacy to the question set is the assumption that emotions arise, often illogically, sometimes unbidden, and in ways that seem out of one's control. But thoughts are created 
by a sensible, logical, intelligent person, that is, usually a man. In fact, the actual science shows that, number one, feelings, emotions, and thinking happen all the time simultaneously, and two, both thoughts and feelings tend to be somewhat unreliable. The preferential treatment of thoughts over feelings has made the courts unfair. The ignorance has caused tremendous harm. In the U.S., people of color and women are routinely falsely determined by judges and juries to be less reliable or believable, and hence more likely to be guilty of crime. Women are more likely to be punished more severely for spousal murder than males for committing the same crime. Because of the inherent and inseparable body-brain-thought-emotion-and-feeling interplay of our human bodies, we must deeply engage our bodily senses routinely. This is especially so when our brain monologue stays in overdrive for a while and starts overshadowing the other ways our bodies and brains function well. Silence helps create perspective on both our thoughts and emotion, which are truly intertwined. Brain chatter. Brain chatter is the name for the planning part of the brain that seems to have its own monologue. It gets worried, persnickety, anxious, irritated, self-conscious, frustrated, and tells you what's going to go wrong. Even worse, it repeats itself. Sometimes the chatter won't shut up and won't let you go to sleep at night. Worst of all, sometimes we confuse the chatter for the real us. Our authentic self is not buzzing with frantic, obsessive activity. In the center of us resides quiet stillness. Some of us have never gone down deep enough to experience this stillness. The part of you that observes the chatter of your mind is the authentic you. One of the best ways to loosen the grip of a chattered brain or to quiet down a chattering mind is to use the power of focused attention by engaging the senses of the body by grounding your attention into the present time and place where your brain body is through your sense of smell, taste, touch, and sound, for instance, you can begin to open up a deeper space of beholding in your body-mind in the present moment. The body sends signals to the brain, and the brain responds predictively. If the body is sending out a signal of relaxed, deep breathing, and engage sensory signals, the brain begins to understand that the situation is probably not dangerous based on your previous experiences. In previous threatening experience, breathing and heart rates were rapid and there were other cues. The brain begins to adjust the rest of the body to be in sync to the calm breathing. You will also need to relax your muscles and limbs to help the brain figure out that it is a time to calm everything down. This may take time if your brain and body have been out of whack for a while. That's it for a snippet of reading from The Verve of Silence, my new book that's available to supporters of my work. You can find that at patreon.com forward slash sparkmymuse or go to my website, sparkmymuse.com, and you'll find a link right there to get to it. I'm really happy with how this turned out, and I think you're going to really like it. There's a lot of practical information in there, of course, too, but 
if you're not used to coming into planned periods of, of silence and interior work, that is new for you or something you need to be encouraged in, I think this, that you'll find this to be a refreshing source of information and renewal for your life. Let's try doing just a little silence right now. I have a chime here and you'll hear something. It won't be totally silent, but in the time that you hear this chime until it dissipates, you're going to take a few deep breaths and enjoy the sound of the chime, but really tune into it and really pay focused attention to it. Listen to it the whole way through, and if your thoughts become distracting, go back to the sound of the chime and just have relaxed breathing. Let's take three deep, relaxing breaths, then I will hit the chime, and you can, and you can listen to the chime for the duration of the sound in silence and relax. Three deep breaths. There we go. There's other ways you could involve silence in your life that I outline in the book that are quite simple and involve less than five minutes a day. But as you add in these pieces into your life, you will notice that the space allows for much more calmness, peace, and reflection that will really feed your soul in ways you probably haven't anticipated. I thank you so much for listening today and being interested in this work, for supporting my work by sharing it, by um, sending notes, I love to read them, and by uh, financially contributing to this program as well. I send out t-shirts to supporters who support at Patreon at $10 a month. On the second month, I send you a t-shirt, and those have been fun to send out. I really enjoy that too. I think there are a lot of really great things in store, and as I network and connect with other kindred spirits, I'm finding that there's a great need for us to band together in solidarity of silence, to nourish our souls and be there for each other and shelter each other in ways that make us healthy from the inside out. So go in peace, and I will be back with a guest next week. <laughs>